Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made, come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 361. Hello, hello. This is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we let listeners know that this particular show was taped several days earlier than usual. I'm your host, Nagin Farsad, and you might not hear the big thing that happened in the news this week, but don't worry, because today we're going to ask the eternal question, can men and women be friends? We'll also check in on Texas because they're driving electric cars like they don't give a fuck. And finally... The HRification of marriage, what is that? I have such an exciting panel for you today. First off, uh, joining us, I mean, you've heard him on the show before. You've loved him on the show before. You've heard him on many other shows before. He is host and producer of the podcast This Day in Esoteric Political History, which you can catch on Radiotopia. And uh, I've just like enjoyed his work for so many years. He is the wonderful Jody Avergan. Hey, Jody. Hello there. That is that is I, the best disclaimer of a million things are going to happen between when we tape and when this actually comes out and just deal with it, people. That's the best deal one I've ever. That's the best I've ever heard <laughs> in a podcast. Way to just get that out of the way. Well, I know. I mean, it's like I try. We try and like tape close to release, oh, yeah. but um, you know, some days it just doesn't happen that way. Yeah. Uh, joining us also, um, and and he's like in the thick of things that change all the time because he is a candidate for California State Senate coming out of Orange County, California, which is so very interesting and we'll talk about it. He's also president of the Stonewall Democrats of California. He is the wonderful Alex Mohajed. Hey, Alex. 
نگین جون چطوری؟ سلام فوکس we're doing Persian sandwich today it's not something that happens frequently but it has happened on Fake the Nation before um, and it's It's just such an honor that you are the other side of the bun today, Alex. Yes, um, Persian sandwich. I hope so everybody's ha- ready. Per- yeah, we are ready. And um, the Persian sandwich has a lot of mortadella in it, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is like such a weird specific thing. Like Iranians love mortadella. Anyways. Really? Uh, which, <laughs> so the fact to the yeah, point where I, I, think I this- felt like mortadella was an Iranian thing, but it's not. But it's, it's not. It's like an Italian thing. But yeah. it's, it, but like yeah. But it. But Iranians cannot get enough. Hilariously, this is now the second time the mortadella has come up on this show because the last time Maz Jobrani was the other part of the bun. Nice. Um. So you know, in in a long tradition of uh, bun bun sides. Okay, here we go. Before we get into the show, I just want to remind listeners that if you are enjoying the show, you can maybe support it. At patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. For as little as $4 a month, you can get bonus episodes of the show. The bonus episodes are so fun, so ridiculous. And it's all the, the, your favorite panelists, um, just uncut and unfiltered. Uh, and maybe you have been enjoying um, two episodes of the show because you've been listening to the Succession Recap podcast and Fake the Nation. So two podcasts per week out of the same feed. What? Have you been d- doing that much podcast enjoyment? Um, if so, uh, go to patreon.com slash Farsad and support the show. And then folks, don't forget that our next um, b- a recap will be for the show, The Bear. And I'm so excited because The Bear is such an excellent, excellent show. So if you have not caught up on The Bear, season two will arrive onto your FX on Hulu screens on June 22nd. We will be recapping season one of The Bear on June 20th. Um, So check your feeds uh, for the recaps. And as always, Fake the Nation will be dropping on Thursdays. It'll continue to do that. So if it's refreshing and it's something that you're not watching, um, ignore the other thing in the feed and just uh, check into Thursdays. Although the funniest phenomenon to me were people who did not watch Succession but did listen to the recaps. (laughs) These are some of my favorite people because this is also something that I do. I like to hear recaps of movies I'll never see. So um, so that's a a, a quality we share. But you heard from folks who... Their, their consumption of, Jody, of succession was only through your recap episodes? Yeah, Jody, tons, tons Amazing. of people. Because I think part of it, too, was like people wanted to be a part of the cultural conversation, sure. but they didn't want to live through the show. <laughs> right. right. And so this like podcast, like, let them do that, which is really funny to me. Um, but again, I get it. All right, folks, let us get into it with topic number one. So we read a piece in The Telegraph called Can We Just Be Friends by Mathers Paul. And first, it reminds us of the romantic comedies of our youth, the Nora Athron creations that basically told us that Harry and Sally, they can't just be friends. But then um, there was Joey and Phoebe who really did seem to have that kind of platonic love. And before we get into whether or not women, men and women can be friends, and I should also point out people and people who have yeah. some sort of uh, otherwise sexual attraction, whatever the gender, um... Has pop culture been weighted to make us believe that platonic friendship between men and women has, uh, has culture told us that that's not possible? Like, what do you feel about the the message that, that you've been getting your whole life? The, uh, the pop culture angle is interesting because 
how much pop culture is there just about friendship? I mean, you know, pop culture is about stuff that's maybe a little more interesting than just like two people who get along. And often, you know, <laughs> sex is more interesting than that. So like, right. what are we seeing in pop culture? Well, we're seeing people who have sexual tension. And so then it brings up this question and it sort of creates a tension, right? Which is what good pop culture is about. So if you're taking your cues from pop culture, I think that by design, it's going to kind of make this feel like a very fraught question. Whereas if I would argue you're taking your cues from real life, it's maybe a little less fraught and, and you know, depends on a lot of other things. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so I don't know. Um, but isn't that part of the problem that you're basically like regular friendship is not interesting? Well, it's satisfying. Right, like, like you, you, <laughs> you just said like most of, most of pop culture is about things that are like more interesting, right? But yeah, like, or have tension or feel the stakes are high. And I mean, you know, if it's like you're choosing between sexual tension versus like two people who have a wonderful, stable, platonic relationship, <laughs> like one of those I want in my real life, and one of those I want to watch when I see a TV show. The entire like, but all the entire media universe is meant to sell sex to us. I feel like that's yeah. the classic trope, right? Sex sells. And I think that's the messaging that we get, not just in TV shows or or movies about about people. It's like in advertising and uh, magazines. It's like this is what sells to people. But as a queer person, let me just chime in to say that we love our female for gay men. I'll speak for on behalf of gay men. We love our women friends that are oftentimes our first friends are are women and the people that we identify with mm -hmm. the most. And so I know, speaking from the LGBTQ perspective, I love watching media about strong women. I love my female friendships. They're really important to me. So I would love to see more. I would love to see more um, media about the, that interesting dynamic. And we had Will and Grace, right? We had Will and Grace. Yeah, but there's certainly more. I mean, it's funny you should mention that we had Will and Grace because now that what, I think about it, like we did have Will and Grace. And then I can't name another prominent um gay male straight female ca on camera friendship besides will and grace like i can't think of uh um, well the queer characters are or is always relegated to the sidekick role if we do see them and i don't right. think we've we still haven't come far enough on the representation for lgbtq people um in in media but I, I think men and women can be friends, but we're just we live in a media escape that that sells sex as a rule. So I think I kind of agree with Jody. That's what people find more interesting, or at least that's what these media executives think is more interesting. And that's what we're going to be sold. Well, it's like, you know, if you if you were to go take one of those super cheesy screenwriting courses, right? What's that guy? McKee yeah, or whatever. Yeah, uh -huh. and you paid, you know, seven installments yeah. of 1999 for a weekend. Um, and, you know, I think probably the first thing he would tell you is like, you have to figure out what your character wants, right? Like that's just sort of storytelling one-on-one and often that's sex, right? And so if you're going to set up a story that has that, um, you know, and, and I think a, a, a script that just showed, well, my character wants something, you know, just wants a stable, wonderful friendship, you would, uh, you would get an F in your weekend screenwriting course. But in real life, which I think is more interesting, I'm, you know, there's, there's, there's like, I think it's much more nuanced and it really depends on kind of where you are in your, you know, like everything, it kind of depends where you are in your life and what you're looking for at a given moment. Um, and so there are moments where I think like it would be tough because people are looking for different things. And there's other moments where it's like totally natural and, and the most obvious conclusion that a man and a woman are two people who would, you know, in, in some stage of their life potentially be sexually attracted to each other. Uh, in this stage of their life, they would just find a very stable uh 
friendship in which that's not an, not part of the equation. But I mean, but the interesting thing, Alex, I would say is is a is about the, you know, I think in gay men, we're not necessarily. I don't know. Is there a thing where the where gay men can't just be friends? There's a, there has to be a sexual tension. Is that trope? happening i don't know about that but i know like my my sneak my peek into the straight world is like I'll, my mm-hmm. trash tv is vanderpump rules stop judging me i i watched <laughs> no film. we're all like we're and, all exactly <laughs> like that don't worry and i and i feel guilty about it and my partner is like what are you doing and i'm like scandal ball honey um and i'm like is this what straight people do it's just like a group of narcissists that all sleep with each other they're a group of male and female friends that just like filter through yeah. each other and nobody else and I kind of, I'm kind of feel like if this is reality, which of course it's not, um, then you know what? What are the streets doing? What are you? What are you guys up to? But they're all in their twenties. They're all you know drunk. They're all looking to right. you know, probably pair up in whatever way. I mean, you know, so so yeah. Maybe they're, this question is interesting in their twenties. They're in their twenties. They, sorry, they're in their in their mind. They're yeah. still in their twenties. <laughs> I, I know I, it's funny because I can't imagine like living that kind of life. Unless you're in your 20s. So it's funny to me that they're in their 40s. Um, I want to say there's a, 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 a service that I have provided in a lot of my straight male, female, platonic friendships, which is, and the article talks about this, the swipe right, um, the swipe right mm-hmm. buddy. I feel like I have provided a lot of um, counsel guidance i've ixnayed a lot of photos um a lot of men i think are a lot of my male friends are really bad at at representing themselves on dating apps and i am here for that specifically i'm like a very good friend when it comes to helping a man set up his dating profile but wait um you're swiping right you're helping them out and then your picture comes up and now and now we're posed (laughs) now now we're we're confronted with the question can I, who have up to this point right. been playing the role of the friend? Yes, that's the romantic comedy <laughs> yeah, exactly. premise, right? Is like she's been helping with the, the profile. Uh, luckily, in this real life scenario, the Nagin in question yes. is married, so I am not on any dating profile. <laughs> we think, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, that, so so that's one of the ways I feel like I have had, and and it's also I think maybe clarified too, like the. Ex- Dent to which I am not interested in them. Like I had this weird interaction <laughs> at a coffee shop last weekend. I walked in and I was um, ordering coffee. I'm in the East Village of New York City. And this guy was reading a book. I think it's called St. Mark's is Dead or something. And it's a kind of a history of the East Village. And he just, and it was sitting there in front of him. And I just walk up to this guy, rando dude. And I was just like, oh my God, how is that book? And I like didn't want him to think that I was hitting on him. I, after I started talking to him, I immediately was like, fuck, like this looks I'm, like I'm hitting on this guy. And I am not hitting on this guy. I truly want to know if that book is interesting because I was thinking of getting it. <laughs> and also like, I'm not 25. Like I'm not like a cute girl. Like, so a part of me is like, no, I'm like a regular, like can't everyone tell that I'm the mother of somebody? You know <laughs> <what I> mean? <laughs> or, or is everyone like that bitch has a functional uterus and she wants me to fuck her. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know. Well- did you do anything to send to send the signals that you were simply interested in the book? I mean, I just like, he like told me what he thought of the book. And I was that. like, oh, cool. <laughs> my husband. I know. Well, here's the other thing, you guys. I don't wear a wedding mm-hmm. ring. And I got um, 
like me and my my husband got like a little lecture from my mom, Mom on a man, Mom on June, because yeah, Mom on June a man. She was just like, you guys make it look like you're both cheating <laughs> because you don't wear wedding rings. And I was, and I had truly never thought of that before. Does it look like me and my husband are cheating because we don't wear wedding rings? Is the question I pose to both of you. I'm not a person that like notices what, like I I don't like don't notice a wedding ring on somebody's either. finger, but I know that people do. I know this is like a thing. Like I know people like put on a wedding ring when they go into certain places. Do they notice it on Vanderpump Rules? Do those characters notice Probably it? not, like they don't care. Wedding ring, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'll tell you that guy in the coffee shop noticed that you weren't wearing a wedding ring. I guarantee. I mean, it. I know. Oh, God, now I'm I'm so embarrassed by this interaction. Okay, so 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 the so the the, the final question of this like just silly topic. We like to start off with just something very <laughs> stupid. Um, do you feel like it that the the idea of men and women being platonic friends has shifted over time? Like, have hmm. we evolved? Is it no longer Nora Ephron insisting that Harry and Sally can't just be friends? Can they? Is it now we're able to see things differently? I mean, yeah, I think so. I think we've come a long way. I think I I think men and women can be friends. I uh, you also come from the queer lens, of course, but I just think outside of like. Outside of like the what's the media, like obviously Vanderpump rules, like this isn't the real world. It's like Hollywood supermodels. And that's kind of being like portrayed to us as reality. And it's really like a very myopic, like glimpse into something that is already so manufactured. And I think that the reality is probably that, yeah, we can be friends. Yeah. You know, it, 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 there's, there's a, there's a bigger sort of thing going on here, which is I do think like one of the ways in which, I feel like even in my lifetime, I've been somewhat heartened by progress is in like relationships and the way that men, I think in particular, think about relationships with women. And I think there's just like, it's very incremental change, but I think there's less of a sort of predatory air towards it. I think there's more openness. I think there's more of an understanding of the sort of power dynamics there among certain groups. Um, so, you know, I think that would inevitably change this because it would maybe I think that notion that like all men want to do, the only thing that men want to do is sleep with women and like you know stalk women or whatever is like that ha that has softened I genuinely think so but yeah I also think my first reaction to this topic was kind of like every generation asks this question of itself <laughs> and like you know our parents podcasted about this and their parents <laughs> podcasted about this and their parents podcast you know it's just kind of like this is a perpetual question well, and it will never and go away not to be overly academic about it but like the oh there's just a construct of gender is yeah. is changing right, right. as of all yeah, totally. completely. and i think gen z is probably gonna say like that gen z i don't know i'm, I'm a millennial and i'm probably one of those chuggy millennials but i think gen z probably even cringes at this question <laughs> because because the construct yeah. of the gender binary right. is sort of has, has has evolved for the next generation. So, and part of the reason this whole thing came up is because there's a new show uh, called Platonic or whatever on on Apple TV. Not I'm not even trying to promote it. It's just like this is why this question that no come one up. under the age of 28 um, will watch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, absolutely. Also, but I mean, they maybe they should because Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne are like delightful. Um, all right. Well, folks, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we shall continue. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app 
that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, educational app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the apps features. I mean, that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, so stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And we are back and we're ready for topic number two. Now, normally in topic number two, we talk about politics. Um, now, this week, like I said, we're, we're taping several days in advance. So we don't know what's happening specifically in the news. But I want to ask Alex um, what it is like to be campaigning in Orange County for California Senate. I want to hear the very particular scenario that you're in. Um and and tell us a little bit about Orange County for, for listeners who might not know. I know because I grew up in Palm Springs, yeah. California. Um, and so Orange County was not terribly far. Um, and of course, there's a lot of Persians there. And so um, I'm very curious to hear uh, what your experience is. I mean, so I'm the son of Iranian working class immigrants who came to Irvine, California specifically to to give their kids opportunities they didn't have. As you, Nagin, know, Nagin, you know, escaped a country that sort of we were, we watched civil society disintegrate. And um, they come here for the good public schools. I think that that immigrant experience is very common here in Orange County. We have a lot of immigrant communities here, a huge API, API community. And the district that I'm in has actually trended more blue over the last few years. I think it's a like a, a truly family-oriented place. So 
I don't think that they liked Trump very much. They voted for Hillary in 2016 and then for Biden in 2020. So it's trended blue and it's actually a very uh, environment. It's a it's a it's a climate um, districts. The voters here care about climate change. They want good climate policy. They care about preserving the beauty of these neighborhoods. And so um, it's an interesting race. You know, if I if I get elected, I'll be the first uh, openly gay person elected to the legislature from Orange County. I'll be the first uh, I'll be the first openly gay Iranian man elected anywhere in the world. And um, I'll be the only Iranian in the legislature in a state which has, as you kind of mentioned, the largest diaspora of Iranians outside of Iran at a time where we have this movement for human rights in Iran. Um, And so the community is really activated and paying attention. And I think they're ready for a diverse, intersectional, progressive new perspective in the legislature, especially on climate issues. Um, You know, it's so interesting because, I mean, I'd say the two of us have probably had similar experiences being, you know, like one of my earliest experiences as a comedian, I didn't grow up around a lot of Iranians. And I was doing com- doing comedy in New York City in this kind of like whatever liberal bubble, just kind of not realizing that anything I was saying about dating and sex and blah, blah, blah was unusual for an Iranian. And I went on the road. I was getting I was doing one of my first paid gigs and I was performing. I, I, I probably mentioned this story before on the show. And I I was performing, and it turned out there was a lot of Iranians in the audience that came to the to the show, and it was at a university. I didn't expect for there to be adult like adult people in there, but there were, and they, I mean, they were silent. It was me twenty minutes fucking eating dog shit, you know, and um and after the show, literally, um, a woman um called said. It, with an earshot, she said, well, she's obviously a prostitute. It's <gasps> like a fun insult that they like to do. Um, but a lot of people said that in the audience because at the time, it, I, and again, this was a, 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 it was, it was a learning moment for me, which is like, oh, Iranians grouped together in this fashion are far more conservative than I am, right? And I didn't know and I also learned then that, like, I can't really depend on Iranians as an audience or a specific type of Iranian as an audience or whatever. Like, they didn't become the people that supported me in my early in the early days of my career as they had for some other comedians. Mm-hmm. And I'm not and this isn't I'm not trying to like, woe is me. Like, it worked out just fine. But um, but it, it but it was just a realization, because if you think and if you think about it, it's like these people were sort of like my parents and they yeah. didn't want to hear me talking about my vagina they didn't yeah. want that and so <laughs> i get it so alex have you had a tough and and, it, and then i think alex and, and and then just to put a, a a silver lining on this over the years as i have insisted on not being weeded out from the entertainment industry <laughs> um iranians have been like oh she's like not going anywhere and then more and as the iranian diaspora community has also evolved They've been more and more supportive. Has have you had a similar experience? My campaign launch video was like something I released. I, I announced them on March fifteenth, and I talk about being an openly gay Iranian in in the video. I think this representation is incredibly important. Like queer people exist. The LGBTQ community is an intersectional community by nature. So there are LGBTQ folks from all walks of life. I think that that representation is super super important. Um, and I talk about this experience openly and I got a text message from an Iranian woman 
who um, showed my campaign video to her family and had a like a, a young uh, nephew, like 20 years old, see the video and come out to the family. Aww. And because of the video and because they were like so proud that there was like an Iranian person running for the legislature, it became an open conversation with them and like easier for them to like accept him and they wanted to yeah. let go. So I think that 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 the community is coming a long way. I think, you know, that's why this representation is important. That's why we need to have comedians from the Iranian community. And yeah, um, there are conservative people in the Iranian community. I don't think it's a community with a one particular uh, political ideology. And I've had some Republican Iranians come to me and and I've said to them, listen, particularly when it comes to human rights and the liberation of the Iranian people, if you care about that, then you have to also care about the the, the assault on women's rights and LGBTQ rights. Mm-hmm. It's all one and the same. These issues are the same. So it's it's inviting an interesting dialogue that I feel like is maybe an opportunity to open up the eyes of people from maybe a different political ideology to the fact that the, these liberation movements are intersectional and they're actually nonpartisan. And we don't need to take one side or the other because we have a D or an R on our voter registration. So I'm hoping to bridge that gap a bit, but I do understand, particularly in immigrant communities, some of the older folks are a little more conservative. Folks, this has been basically our very first of the season, Races to Watch, yeah. which people think sounds like I'm saying racists to watch. <laughs> um, but we're la- we're getting in. We're launching into election season, folks. And so I, I'm so happy same, that we got way. to... T- Elections to watch and races to watch. And races to watch. Um, uh, But but Alex, can you just remind people where, when, where, if they want to support you, uh, where can they learn more information about you and all that stuff? Sure. Uh, Please visit me at alex4ca.com. Chip in if you can. We are doing a completely grassroots campaign, so we're not accepting any fossil fuels money, no corporate PAC money, no healthcare association money, no police association money. We're not taking any realtor or developer money. It's completely grassroots so that we can be free to advocate for real solutions in the fourth largest economy in the world here in California. So please visit me, learn more about me, visit my Instagram at Alex Mahajer and the website is alex4ca.com. And the primary elections in March, if you live in the 37th Senate district and uh, yeah, I'd love if you would reach out and we can have a conversation about the race. Um, okay, now let us move on to the topic that uh, that was originally our political topic, which is Texas. Apparently, electric vehicles are taking off in don't mess with it, but do mess with abortion, Texas. There are a bunch of areas of Texas in which EV use is growing faster than the national average. In Collins County, home to Plano, 8.7% of new vehicle registrations last year were EVs. And again, that's well above the national average. Um, To date, EVs have had the most growth in blue strongholds, clearly, like in places like California. But Jody, um, are you surprised by this development? Well, you know, this isn't on you, but it is it is interesting that, you know, let's go to our political topic. Let's talk about electric vehicles. I mean, there's no inherent reason that electric vehicles <laughs> should be political. Right. And I mean, you know, right. it's just no, worth it's true, it is still, but they are. Right. And, but yeah. it is, you know, it's still worth sort of finding opportunities to point out how politicized everything is and that certain things should not be political. And I, and I actually think that's a large part of this story is that, you know, in whatever way, um, people are starting to see electric vehicles just for what they are, you know, and not through a partisan lens. And I think, especially environmentalism. I mean, I think in the last 
three or four years. And I think even I think the big kind of one of the big achievements of the Biden uh, infrastructure bill was the kind of like continual reframing of all these things, not necessarily as environmental issues that has its own sort of political connotations, but as like infrastructure and economic development, which really they are. And actually, Alex, I mean, you know, I'm curious kind of how you think about that, because to me, I mean, this is one of those classic issues where it's like you can find plain, common language that everyone can get on board with. Right. If you just talk about it the right way. And that's not that's not pandering to, you know, that's just kind of like that's how politics should work, is we should find a, every everyone should have an opportunity to latch on. And I mean, I, I feel like I heard you use language with that intent, even when you were talking just a minute ago about like kind of how you're how you're achieving your campaign. So like, I'm curious whether it's on this issue or just in general, like how you think about simple language that just sort of skirts the partisanship around an issue. We have to pull people out of the paradigm of having these conversations that have been framed for them by by corporate media that is meant to sway you one way or the other based on a politicization of this issue. You know, like climate change is not a political, it's not a, it should not be a partisan issue. So rather than dive into like, like buzzwords and hot top, like, you know, like controversial um, elements of, of these issues, it's really just talking about affordability, making these neighborhoods thrive, you know, um, making sure we have access, and creating an infrastructure for clean energy. And if you talk about it in terms of just having clean energy, energy that doesn't emit waste, energy that is cheaper to use, that that is more relatable to folks. Um, But like, listen, there are politicians from both parties taking lots and lots of money from the fossil fuels industry. And that is why we haven't seen big progress. And the Biden bill was a nice start. But, you know, like it's a seventy five hundred dollar tax credit. Like a lot of us still can't go afford an EV. Um, And we got to keep that's why these Texas may be making some movement on it is a a great thing, because it's going to come to state legislatures supplementing and complementing the Biden bill to make sure we can get across the finish line, because it's not just about EVs. We have to build the infrastructure to charge those EVs. You know, we need to get charging stations into every parking lot and neighborhood and garage in the country and quickly if we want to meet our emissions goals. And so I I think this news is welcome out of Texas and it's a good thing. And if the way that we get there is just saying, hey, don't you want to pay less money for gas? Gas is so expensive. And, you know, look at this, this sexy car and, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a beautiful car. It's like modern. It's hip. Let's get people in these cars. Maybe that's the way to get there. But either way, I think um, it's a welcome. It's a welcome bit of progress in Texas. Well, it's funny because uh, as listeners know, I don't really drive ever. Um, but the so this is I, I, some one of the things that they talked about. A lot of people that were interviewed for this piece that we read kept mentioning like, oh, I I don't have to, no more trips to the gas pump because I can charge at home, right? And then no more um, uh, oil stains in the garage, whatever. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember growing up with those oil stains and just being like, why do these things leak? Like what's happening here <laughs> with these like stains? But like, yeah, that, that's, that seems annoying. No more, um, an- another thing that a lot of these people talked about in the article, like, interviewees were consistently talking about was no more getting your oil changed the the thing with the dipstick and all of that stuff like you don't have to do that anymore um that all seems 
again, it's like these cars are cool and sexy, but also you can deny climate all you want. You still don't have to get your oil changed. Isn't that fun? <laughs> I mean, um, and so I think there is something about like, you know, what you were saying, Jody, the like the the common language that does it that that kind of makes environment that that secretly um, shoves environmentalism in there without um, without making it um, real for those people. It's it's funny like the 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 huge disconnect between I think the way people talk about politics and the way they continue to just kind of live their lives as normal human beings is usually like really disheartening to me, right? But in this case, it's great, right? Like yeah, like you said, it's like. Mouth off about climate change all you want, but if we can make the decision, you know, everyone's still going to make the decision about what car they own based on kind of like very, very prosaic, uh, mundane reasons. Yes. And if we can accommodate yes. those, then then great. Uh, and, you know, I think there's a plenty of issues on which you can kind of find, you can target that. Um, because I do think very few people are living their lives day to day sort of based on t- political cable news talking points they may spout that but they still just kind of live their lives yeah and i mean you mentioned this alex about what state legislatures have to do and actually greg abbott governor greg abbott is fast tracking an infrastructure upgrade bill to support charging stations among other things um he's also um creating this i thought was interesting a 400 registration fee for electric vehicle drivers and a 200 annual renewal fee thereafter and the reason for that is because they're worried about the revenue lost from the gasoline tax which i think is hilarious because i thought you bitches didn't want taxes ever but anyway so now so they're trying to recapture that through this registration fee and the 200 renewal fee which if i'm a driver i i think that's fine you know i get it um but uh but i think but i thought that was interesting um uh this this loss of, of the gasoline tax which is a reality for a lot of states there's a gasoline tax right yeah i mean i i don't support i don't like the idea of making access to easy to these evs more prohibitive so i don't right mean, right 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 love uh charging an exorbitant registration fee it feels like it's sort of um it's sort of putting up a wall to to access i think we need to make the, making it less attractive we got to create incentives for people to buy them and make it more attractive make it affordable um give them lots of tax credits and um and we need to we need to just we need to do that quickly here in california too um it's it's really not happening fast enough i was riding my bike down the street uh when i was eight years old to uh alderwood basics plus elementary school in irvine uh when i was eight and getting instruction on climate change and it's 30 years i'm 38 it's 30 years later and i drive that same stretch of road here in irvine and I look around and I don't see any EVs on the road. I don't see solar panels on the homes. I don't see the charging stations in these neighborhoods. And so, um, you know, Texas maybe have taken a little step towards uh, getting EVs on the road, but it's really, really not happening fast enough, including in what you would consider more demo- democratic leaning states uh, or like California. You know, Hard it's Denver. remarkable, like Palm Springs has so much in terms of solar panels and parking with with charging stations. I also want to say something about charging stations, which is like a vision I have that'll also cure the like loneliness epidemic of America is can charging stations because they take a, a tad bit longer 
can they be the new hangout? You know what I mean? You pull up to a charging station, you have a chat about the weather with a stranger as they're charging in the charging station. The third space, the classic I, third space. Yes. The classic third space. We used to go to bars. Now we just go to the charging station. You know, they're, they're, they, they don't sell alcohol because you shouldn't drink and drive, but they do sell really delightful flavored seltzers. Mm-hmm. And everyone just has a great time. Can we can we have this vision of America? And Nagin, you can help the men with their dating profiles. Yeah. I, first of of all, pop-up dating profile services at charging stations? Can that be something that you put into a, a legislative bill, Alex? Because right I that. would love okay, please. Also, Nadine, <laughs> please in your, name in me comedy by world. Was that was that what we refer to as a callback? Yeah. Right? <laughs> it was indeed. And, it and, was and indeed. What you well just done. did there was kind of undermining the joke, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now, before we leave Texas, I just want to talk quickly about the state attorney general, Ken Paxton. Uh-huh. He was impeached with 20 different charges. His his mess includes, um, you know, fraud accusations because of a wealthy donor who was trying to curry favor. He fired whistleblowers for bringing to light his misuse of the office for which then led to basically a double misuse of the office. Um, he got a donor to give his mistress a job. I mean, his scandal is many fold and it has been brewing for years. Uh, fun fact. His wife is a senator who will vote on his ouster, um, which I'm not sure what the timing is. It may have happened by the time this um, episode drops. And but I do want to ask this question, which is, is Texas changing? Because this is a bunch of Republicans. And and is the Republican Party shifting a little bit? Because this is a bunch of Republicans taking down a very Trumpy Republican, a Republican that has been sticking it to the Biden administration since day one. And now here they are impeaching him um were you surprised by all of this and um you know uh what do you think jody is this a signal of something i mean it's definitely a notable moment um especially kind of how quickly it happened after years of this basically being an open secret um but does it signal a lasting change you know my sense is that Many of the things that Paxton um, did with his office, uh, he like someone else will just pick up that mantle. And moreover, like other attorneys generals around the country will probably like, you know, he really perfected a playbook for weaponizing that office. And I think other people are going to see that and maybe do that with a little less of the brazen corruption and 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 march forward. But, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, I, in the same legislative like sort of blitz in which they... Um, impeached him, you know, the Texas legislature also passed the bill blocking hormone blockers and they banning DEI at offices and, you know, so like the beat goes on, you know, for the Republican Party, despite this one, um, despite this one move. So I don't know. Yeah. Ken Paxton is among one of the most corrupt (laughs) elected officials in the United States and has been for, for like nearly a decade at least. I mean, I think he was indicted for the first time in 2015 um, and he became the first attorney general to become a, indicted in Texas and like in maybe like decades and reelected and he, under that cloud. It's worth noting and right? continuously yeah. reelected. I'll know. Yeah, I mean, you're right. But he's had whistleblower allegations against him back during when back when Trump was president. I remember there was uh, like people in his staff who were accusing him of abusing his office and bribery and other crimes. So I think maybe the the Texas legislature has just hit its breaking point with him, but he is uh, definitely one of the most corrupt people in the country. Um, yeah, it's it's a fun, 
it's but like reading the uh the the many things that he's done so terribly um is so fun and the fact that his wife is is a voting senator i just it's so so hilarious um and wrong and it is it does feel like um reality tv you know is just too much well i'm curious about that the sort of reality tv element to it or the sort of high profile i mean you know he was relatively high profile i think a lot of people outside of texas yeah. knew his name and sometimes i kind of see a story like this and i'm just like if he just kind of kept his head down and grifted no one would have cared right <laughs> and i mean i think that way honestly yeah. i think that way about like george santos or whatever it's like you should have just been some like two-bit low-level you know grifter on long island but like something about this moment in politics and media forces all these guys um, usually guys but there's also marjorie taylor green you know forces all these folks to like think that they need a national profile or want to go on tv and they pop their head up and then everyone sees them for what they are and uh, and sometimes they get the you know they get they get be- beaten back down but you know i mean i don't know you're 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 much more connected to local politics alex than i than, than either of us but it's like my sense is like there are a lot of these kinds of folks floating around at the local level and mostly they just keep a low profile and they get away with it and they, you know, skim some money off the top and whatever. And then every once in a while, one of them just like gets their profile gets too big. Right. I mean, it. it, it it's also like Trump's profile got too big. That's why yeah. he's oh, dealing yeah. with like indictment number two. Right. I mean, he he, he could have just kept going. It, um defrauding people out of their money and like, you know what I mean? Having fraudulent businesses over and over. Like he could have just kept doing that forever. And and what, where he's gotten himself in trouble legally is by having too big of a profile, right? Because now too many people are interested. You're under the limelight. You're under the, the light of the press. I mean, you know, keep your, I think this is a real great moral lesson for the grifters is keep your grifting your grifting aspirations to a medium <laughs> or let's let's stop electing grifters oh come on yeah, and le- yeah. this guy <laughs> let's stop electing grifters i feel like if if texas had held ken paxton accountable a yeah. long long time ago we, we wouldn't be here but that's part of the problem with the, the partisan binary and how how divided we've become is our people would rather vote for somebody who's blatantly corrupt and sort of like the weird uh, cognitive dissonance that you'll go, the lengths you'll go to to defend the person just because they have an R or a D next to their name is yeah. sort of part of the problem. And I think that's probably why this has got allowed, been allowed to go on for so long in Texas with this guy. But uh, but let me ask you a very cynical question, Alex, which is yeah. if you were to scratch at, you know, any uh, semi-powerful state politician, do you think you'd probably find maybe nothing this brazen, but do you think you'd probably find some some level of corruption? Double dealing, insider trading. Yeah, no, I don't know about insider trading, insider but I, trading. That, I think that the where I have the most concern, at least here in California, is who these elected officials take money from. Yeah. And it's not necessarily uh, illegal, but it is, in my mind, immoral. So, like, I have a personal uh, objection to it. And I think we should be electing people that don't take money from these special interest groups that are holding us back from me- making meaningful progress on a lot of different issues. So I don't know that you would go and find blatant like criminality, but I do think that people from both parties take a lot of money from troubling, troubling sources. Yeah. You and you would find and you can find that. I mean, it doesn't take much scratching. Folks, are there grifters 
on your docket that you will be potentially voting for that you could stop yourself from doing that? <laughs> um, hit me up. Let me know. What do you think of this Ken Paxton thing? The whole thing is just uh, is just wild. All right. That is the end of the show. The two of you have been just such a delightful panel. I can't even tell you how happy I am to have spoken with you both. And I would love for the people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow you and all the wonderful things that you do. Jody, where do they do that? Um, well, you can find me on uh, my website, Jody Avergan, A-V-I-R-G-A-N. And Jody's with a Y. I just confused everyone. You can find me uh, at my website. You can see all my <laughs> latest work. And I mean, I have this Radiotopia history show. I will also shout out um, this other show uh, that I help produce, uh, called You Get a Podcast, which is a look at Oprah's uh, deep influence on our culture and politics. And that just came back for a second season. It's a really wonderful show. And I want as many people to listen to that as possible. Um, and Alex, um, running for uh, for Senate in California. Tell me, uh, where can the people find you? Yeah, you can visit me at alexforca.com or on my socials at Alex Mohajer, M-O-H-A-J-E-R. It means immigrant. In Farsi. It does. It does. Mohajer. Um, definitely follow both of these gentlemen. And if you're in California, if you're in Orange County, if you know people in Orange County, um, give Alex a good look. Yeah. Um, and you know, you know where to find me and all the things that I do. Uh, but again, we have the bear coming recaps. Recaps of the Bear coming to Fake the Nation. A wonderful show. You should definitely catch up on season one. Season two drops on June 22nd. We will be doing our recap of all of season one on the 20th. And then um, after that, we're going to go more week by week. And uh, you can reach us at fakethenationpodcast at gmail.com with any questions or concerns, ideas, panelist ideas. Alex came because of um, a listener suggestion. So um, thanks so much for that. And um, you can, uh, well, I want to thank everyone who makes the show a possibility. That's our wonderful producer, Andrew McGuire. Um, thanks to everyone at HeadGum for making the show a reality. Our theme music was written by the incomparable Gabby Alter. And um, thank you, everyone. We will be back in your earballs next week. That was a HeadGum Podcast.